Hello everybody and welcome to the GMS Magazine Podcast. I am Paco Garcia, your host. And yes, it has been a very, very, very long time. I'm, I am truly sorry, but life just gets in the way. And I must admit that when it gets like that, it's very hard to keep going. Really hard to keep going. Um, so yes, I am not as regular as I should. And I promise I'm going to do my best to change that in the very, very near future. But meanwhile, meanwhile, my friends, we're going to start with a bang because we have one of the most fun, most interesting, most genuinely approachable people I know in the RPG world and one that I absolutely adore uh, ever since before I met him. I, I, I'm kidding you not. I'm talking about Jeff Richards, the, the, the Chaosium's creative director. The mind behind an awful lot of the very, very good stuff that Chaosium, Chaosium, sorry, Chaosium, Chaosium does. And um, somebody very seriously, trust me on this one, very, very well worth listening to. He certainly has a very, very good head on his shoulders. So... We're going to talk about a number of things. I'm not going to even tell you what it is, because by now you should be gagging to find out. So, please sit back, relax, or go for a walk, or whatever you do while you listen to these podcasts, and hopefully enjoy yourself. I'll talk to you later. Jeff, welcome back. After I, I think Skype's told me that we haven't spoken in a year, uh, at least. We have not spoken. The last time we spoke, I was in Italy. Yes, uh, on the slopes. Um, on the slopes, <laughs> and we're now we're now two weeks after that. That's my annual retreat to the Italian Alps, where I I, I do a lot of my conceptual thinking and uh, a lot of creative writing. And which is always a great time then to talk with you because I'm I'm bubbling filled with goofy ideas. You you are, but before we go into these um, all all goofy ideas things, um, we have to make sure that you because it's been so long, you know, um, we have to make sure that you remember how to answer questions. So we we're going to go <laughs> through <laughs> one uh, little silly exercise, uh, which I'm going to ask you five five questions. Um, there are no right or wrong answers, just to make sure that you know how to give an answer. Uh, right. So um, uh, first question, which I already know the answer because i've seen you drinking um tea or coffee coffee yeah, actually <laughs> even more than coffee espresso okay, so had to be <laughs> right uh and i know the second answer because um well you just being uh the mountain or the beach i prefer the mountains to the beach I always have okay um, although i've always as an aside on this i i have Almost my entire life lived within a hundred range, a hundred kilometers of a mountain range, and within a hundred kilometers of the ocean. I'm now here in Berlin, which is further from both, which well, is, um, is still disorienting. I believe there are flights directly from Berlin to Valencia, so you can come here and probably be at the beach in the same time that it will take you to get to the mountains from there. So, anyway, we'll organize that. Um, Paradise. 
It's paradise. Uh, yeah, very much so. Um, <laughs> right, uh, another question. Uh, motorbikes or cars? Cars. Okay. Cars. Um, uh, uh, Greg, Greg Stafford. Um, uh, was once doing me. He worked, once worked in, in an emergency room right, right out of uh, college at a hospital. And uh, if I recall, the terms that they used for motorcycles was morgue rockets because <laughs> of the rocket ship right to the morgue. And as a result, cars, cars, man. I like my airbag. Fair enough, fair enough indeed. Uh, right, uh, this is a slightly harder question, although I, I think I know which you're going to answer. Um, fantasy or science fiction? Ooh, that's actually a, that's a tougher one um, to answer. I'm uh, Although most of the stuff that I work on is within the realm of fantasy, I have a tremendous love for a lot of the classic science fiction from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. I, I haven't kept it as, as up on, on it as I probably should. And, and one of my absolute favorite writers, uh, Roger Zelazny, uh, very much straddled both genres. Uh, Lords of Light, mm -hmm. is that a fantasy book or is that a science fiction book? Okay. Uh, you know, I... If I, if I, I try to think about what I read more in terms of a fiction for my own enjoyment now, um, and it's probably more fantasy, Okay. but, uh, well done science fiction. Okay. Uh, it is fantasy. <laughs> That's a fair answer. And last question, um, zombies or vampires? Vampires. Okay. Wow. I that hate. was fast. <laughs> I hate Sam. I, 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 you know, I have to say, the uh, there's something interesting um, about the 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 zombie fixation of the last decade or so. I don't know if this is it. It it boils down to um, some, you know, this incredible anxiety that we we have in the postmodern world about death. Mm -hmm. Or whether it is um, reflective of our postmodern disdain for the the other, that the vast bulk of, of, of humanity is some sort of zombified other that simply wants to consume our brain. Um, but either one that it is, I find it... Um, I, I find it one of these literary uh, literary trends that have, as far as I'm concerned, outworn its welcome. Let's bring back vampires, man. I mean, vampires vampires at least dress better than than zombies. True, that's that's very true. I, I, I'll give you that. <laughs> right, um, but today we're not going to talk about vampires or zombies at all. Um, we're actually going to talk about the archetypes of heroes within the Western world, which is. Is, is, I, I must admit, um, and, and I want to know what you feel about this, I must admit I have some issues with, with Western as a genre. Um, because I now, by Western, I mean, I, I assume we mean the Old West, the yes. uh, mythology of Americana uh, dealing with um, uh, the, 
the frontier, mm. however we want to define that, and which which embodies everything, everything from Shane to um, uh, once upon a time in America, or sorry, once upon a time in the West. Yes, and that's the thing that I feel that that um, period of American history has very, very much been glamorized and uh, you know dressed with very rosy-tinted uh, veneers throughout a huge amount of Hollywood uh, movies and, and, and novels and what have you. Whereas in reality, it was a very gritty, very dirty, very genocidal uh, period of, of history with an awful lot of very dirty stuff going on at the time. So how how do you reconcile the idea of the invader being the hero of the story when actually they did an insane amount of harm to the people oh, native well, to the land? That's a superb question, and it, it, it of course has lots of answers to it. Okay. Uh, the most superficial and uninteresting answer to it is that of course the West, the Western, like any mythology, has been bodlerized by uh, cinema and and literature, and and that's what there's there's always been a tendency to take any sort of myth, and and I'm going to be very careful. Uh, I'm trying to be very careful about the use of the word myth, is is and I think we talked about this last time. Is one of the things that I think about human beings is human beings uh, understand the world not through uh, evidentiary data and careful analysis. We're, 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 we're not, um, uh, you know, we're, we, no one follows the strict scientific method for understanding the world. Instead, we have a set of, of sacred narratives mm -hmm. that we have. And one of the things we tend to do with any sacred narrative is bodlerize it and and gussy it up and clean it up and and whitewash it and make it nice and unobjectionable. Uh, and and the, the the classical world example is of course Heracles, mm -hmm. who is one of to me one of the most interesting of the classic heroes. Although all the the classical Greek heroes are are absolutely gloriously fucked up individuals pardon pardon me for for my bad language there but keep in mind that 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 heracles why why does heracles have to do his labors do, do you recall why um if i remember correctly because he had to get his wife or something similar i remember because they, they... he murdered his wife and his children in a moment of rage yeah something like that i, I, I mean i remember failed... the, the, the tests but not the reason why he... He had to do his, um, Heracles was an individual, a savage, destructive uh, force uh, that was only half man and half divine. And, and of course, the problem about being half divine is, is that the, 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 the world of the divine in almost every culture is a frightening, terrifying thing that doesn't follow our rules. It has its own, it, you know, the... The, the Greek gods are not 
they're capable of incredible generosity and incredible gift. And they're also capable of incredible savagery and incredible cruelty. Mm-hmm. And so you have the, the, the myth of Heracles and you read, you know, you look at um, some treatments of it and Heracles is this, this horribly violent, horribly destructive individual who nonetheless serves an important um, uh, ro- social and cosmic role, but then you have other treatments of him where he becomes whitewashed, he becomes this kind of friendly guy, uh, hey, it's happy Heracles, um, uh, who is just this, this useful defender of civilization, and we ignore that he killed his wife and his children, um, he's killed his, uh, 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 if I recall, he's responsible for the death of, of most of his lovers. Um, and we, we, for all of history, and this isn't just, you know, the, the bottlerized, um, uh, Hollywood treatment of Heracles, but also you keep this, this sort of whitewashing of myths to make it more acceptable. You see in, uh, even in classical Greece and in the Roman world. Now, the same thing is true with, with the the old west and i just used air brackets on a um audio <laughs> which isn't isn't terribly useful uh but you know with the old west the old west which in the real world deals with a very short period of time i mean it's the the, the most of the events that we place into the old west basically come from uh shortly after the american civil war to some point around 1890. So you're looking at at most about 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a period of, of, of horrific uh, racism, of horrific violence. Um, it is a period that is following the bloodiest and most awful war in, in, in American history and all the, the, you know, what we would now call post-traumatic stress uh, resulting from uh, from that um, and you know it's it's a, a but you know throw into this not only the the treatment of African Americans um, after the Civil War but also the genocide of many of the American Indian tribes etc cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. okay all of that is there and in and in, in, in some writers, do focus on that and treat that. Cormac McCarthy's uh, Blood Meridian, which is a fantastic Western, um, is is astonishingly in your face about that. I don't, have you ever read uh, Blood Meridian? No, I have not. Glorious book. Glorious book. Um, it's actually a Gnostic. A big part of it is um, uh, also a, a Gnostic parable. Right. Uh, but... Then you can go the um, other extreme, and we have the the television westerns of the 1950s and 1960s. I think the the absolute most whitewashed moment would probably be uh, Bonanza. You know, the the happy patriarch <laughs> living on the fan, the, the his his um, peaceful and content ranch in Nevada in in Ponderosa big country. Um. I, but at its core myth, 
the story of the West is the is the story of uncivilized people being the force of civilization. And I don't mean civilization is in good versus bad, but the you have this and many treatments of it, the forces of civilization are and that the entire civilization process is a bad thing. You look at the the series Deadwood, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a, a great treatment of this. That's a story of these the transformation of an area from being what it was before white settlement. So it was an area, you know, the Black Hills was a sacred area for the Lakota Sioux. Um, it is transformed because gold is discovered there it, it, very quickly. Um, murderers, thieves, uh, vicious bastards of every kind settle there. And that they impose rules on nature and upon themselves, and they make themselves obsolete. And by the end of the series, what you have here is you have a, you know, by the end of the series, Deadwood is is more or less a standard uh, normal appearing settlement, uh, you know, with nice streets and towns and flags and nice dresses and, and, and civilized. Mm-hmm. And again, that's the air quote there. Um, and the world that we recognize. And our fascination with the Western is that transition period. We have this period where um, we see a world uh, we see a world we don't really recognize. Uh, the while, uh, and it, again, you can poke holes by me calling it the wild or or the natural state, because of course the Lakota terraformed that area as well. Uh, but you have a place that we don't recognize. Being transformed into a place that we do recognize, and it's being transformed by these individuals that don't fit in either. They don't fit in either world. And I think that's part of the fact, for me, that's the fascination with the hero. So that's, you know, that can be applied to Heracles. It can be applied to Wild Bill Hickok. It can be applied, uh, it can be applied. Uh, applied to Odysseus or Theseus, these are all figures mm-hmm. that 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 they didn't they didn't fit in any sort of normal settled community, but they their existence was necessary for these settled communities to exist. Okay. Um, and and as a result, I am. This is a, a a very rich pool of of stories, and the story you know you can we can have the whitewashed version of the story, which is you know bonanza. Mm-hmm. We um, or you can have the uh, horrific monster version of the story, uh, Cormac McCarthy, McCarthy and Bloodbred in, or you can have anything in in between, but this. If we look at it within the so much of the fantasy genre, particularly the fantasy RPG genre, mm-hmm. your heroes in in or adventurers in so many of these settings are the Wild West character. You know, they are uh, when you go into a dungeon, 
you were metaphorically in, in Kill the Monsters and whatnot, you were metaphorically taming um, uh, the underworld. And yet most adventurers aren't nice people um, in the sense that they're not the people that um, are, are good members of their community. They're, they, they aren't what the, whatever that setting would have as the, as the norm. And I find this, this is an archetype that I've been looking at um, and playing around with, and uh, I'm actually surprised, I'm surprised how little we do with it. So with, with all of that, um, that we've discussed, um, and, you know, and, and, and this appreciation of uh, the, 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 the outcast as, as an integral part of um, civilization building, Um, yes. How how do you reconcile, in that case, the horrific acts that those outcasts had to or had to or not had or to did. But, but did chose yes. to do. In many cases, they chose to do it. Yes, exactly. How how can that be reconciled and brought up to today's sensitivities and sensibilities, um, in order to create? an RPG experience, since, since we're talking about RPGs, that it is wholesome and truly authentic without being used as a tool for bigotry. That... Oh, I, oh well, let me give you an example here from, from uh, uh, Glorantha, because Glorantha has a lot of, of Old West themes, which isn't surprising because Greg was a big, you know, Greg was a, a very... Uh, uh, passionate lover of the American West. And I don't just mean literary, but in, in terms of, of, of it as a landscape, it as a geography, mm -hmm. uh, the, the uh, various religious movements of, of the native uh, inhabitants of there and so forth and so on. And, and, you know, I grew up on Westerns and also I'm from the Western United States. So this is, you know, part of my own, mythology um and in glorantha we have this settlement called pavis and pavis is um is a frontier settlement um on the verge between settled agriculturalists and um animal herding um uh, nomadic peoples right so you have this 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 um Great, Finn. Uh, you have this this um, frontier zone here, um, and in there, your characters are are likely um, doing what adventurers normally do, which is uh, stealing stuff that belongs to other people. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Oh, and whatever name that they they want to do it on this. Now, Robin Laws and I have been playing around with this in the new Pavis Big Rebel book, and we we want to play around with well, what is it that you're doing, and what are the consequences of you behaving like an adventurer are, and without giving away much of the the the, the campaign theme. Part of this is is that at some point during the campaign, the adventurers have to realize that they are actually damaging their own ability to survive by behaving in the manner of the outcast mm -hmm. uh, of, of, you know, I, I believe the term of art that is beloved in 
in some games is the murder hobo. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I think that's one way of treating it. I, I personally think this is part of the contradiction of the human experience. Uh, our, every civilization and every society is, has been founded on things that are a source of shame, embarrassment, or, or uh, disgust by the future generations. I mean, this, this does seem to be something that is, uh, you know, part of, of our experience as human beings. And I, it's, I personally think that it's unhealthy for us to whitewash our own past. I think that it is that it's important to understand that, um, you know, we're not founded as cities on a hill uh, where we, where something has been given to us and and we have no past and nothing. Nobody ever suffers for us to be where we are now. Uh, but on the other hand, I don't think that. I don't think that it's possible for us to get rid of the 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 hero archetype. I think that's also something that is that is that is I am I, you know putting my own um, uh, cards on the table. I think that it's very important that that human beings recognize that we socially are made up of a very large number of archetypes. We may favor some and dislike others, or we may just try to accept that all of them are there and part of what makes us who we are. Um, and I think that in, in, in literature, and in, in fantasy role playing, I think it's 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 a means by which we can explore some of the archetypes that are uncomfortable to deal with. And I think the hero is one of the ones that we're actually the most uncomfortable with. And I don't mean by and I'm not I'm not trying to be an edge lord when I talk about being uncomfortable here. Yeah, um, um, you know, we we have a tendency to want to be able to say our heroes are people. And, and again, I'm using hero in the, the, the classical mythology sense of the term, but that our heroes are someone that we personally like. Yeah. You know, they, it's right. It, <clears throat> that seems to be something very important for us to be able to say, but it's not something that I think is normally the case. Well, it is one of the reasons, you know, it's something that, um, one of the reasons why sometimes people say don't follow uh, your idols in social media because eventually you will see them doing or saying something that you, you hate and then they will fall from grace and they will no longer be your idols. And so it's, I, I can see why the figure of the hero, again, it's, it has been glamorized, but as soon as you take a proper look at what they were like, it's a bit, Jesus, the, the question is begged, what was heroic about you? What was heroic about well, those people? And that's also because we've changed the meaning of the word heroic. Mm -hmm. We've we've made the word we we we've you know in um, in our usage of the word we've even um, uh, we've whitewashed the word heroic into it being something that 
we look at and we say, oh, well, that is that I that is morally uh, commendable. Uh, hurrah! Let us give you a prize because of your your wonderful, selfless, uh, heroic deeds. But if you look at the ancient world, that's certainly not what anybody thought of as as heroic. You know, these these heroes might have been motivated for glory, mm -hmm. but that's a very different thing than having the moral approval of their peers. And sometimes when I wonder, I, I think about that, I, I, I like to blame 19th century upper class Englishmen uh, for for this botherization that, you know, it's 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 where we stripped out um, the ambiguity and we we. And at the same time, we also stripped out the sex from mythology mm -hmm. and and turned it into made our our mythological figures into um, uh, appropriate fare for 19th century young boy literature. Right. Uh, <laughs> and in in. But I I don't think that was healthy. I think that 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 it. You know, we look at in any frontier circum uh, uh, setting, and and frontier doesn't have to mean you know um, uh, the colonial frontier. It can be the setting of uh, the original uh, Star Trek. It can be you know basically anything where you you have this this um, liminal zone, and the people in there are establishing some sort of new setting or new rules, but they usually are people that, that ultimately won't fit within those rules. You know, I, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, is that you have um, this role of a, of, of, of the hero as a person that straddles two worlds and doesn't fit in either of them. They straddle the world of the ordinary and the mundane. So in the Wild West, they straddle um, settled white American civilization. Um, but they also straddle this, this zone that is outside of that. Mm -hmm. And they don't fit within the, the mundane world because they're scared they tend to be scary people they are gunslingers they are murderers they are alcoholics and they also don't obviously don't straddle the uh, the the unknown world because they're killing it um, and 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 generally they're destroying it in order to make it tameable for the mundane world mm -hmm. and you look at you know you look at Heracles is this the you can map this straight on to Heracles. Heracles wanders around. He kills monsters. Yeah. Um, but why is he the guy who's killing monsters? Because he's a monster. You know, uh, Heracles, Heracles is ordered to do this because he murdered his wife and children um, uh, and, and has an enemies list, uh, you know, a kilometer long of people that he's screwed over and done horrible things to. And so he's the one you send off to fight monsters. Uh, and, and, you know, his interaction with the monsters is he's the killer of monsters. It's not like he sits down with, um, uh, with most of his, uh, the tasks of his labors and negotiates to sell to this. It's, you know, Heracles goes in, he, 
he has to take the cattle of Geryon, so he kills Geryon and steals all the cattle and brings it back to show off to um, uh, the king. You can map that same thing with your most of your classical West, Old West figures. You know, these are, are liminal figures. My, my, you know, you look at the, the man with no name from the Clay and Eastwood stories. Mm-hmm. He doesn't fit within, ever fit within settled civilization. He's not, you know, uh, it's not William Money, the guy who lives in the, in, in the town and runs a prosperous um, a store or is a good sheriff or or whatnot, you know, a, a, a proper figure within society. He's almost always portrayed as a bounty hunter, a mercenary, or in the case of William Money from The Unforgiven, um, a notorious murderer who is now out um, raising pigs poorly in in at the at very very furthest edge of civilization you know that's the heracles figure they're they're an outcast mm-hmm. they interact with the other whatever that other is in most of the stories and what comes out at the end of the uh of the story is the world has been and again i'm using air quotes here made safe for the settled mundane world now some of the later Clint Eastwood movies get more sophisticated in that what, what William Money uh, in the Unforgiven, William Money actually goes back and attacks the settled community. Um, he, he, you know, he he is the inappropriate hero who has whose time has um, already passed, who comes back into the community and causes terrible damage. Um, and that's another Western theme. Uh, and one of the things that I find interesting about the, 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 the mythology of the Old West is it also has a series of stories of what do we do with the hero when the hero has no, long, no longer serves their purpose? Right, I guess. A very good question. Oh, we kill them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look, you look at the Wild Bunch. The Wild Bunch is your, what do we do, what, what does the hero do when the hero no longer serves that that social function? Well, they keep running around murdering and killing and stealing stuff, but now it's against the settled community. And the settled community hunts them down uh, and they die. Okay. You know, same thing in um, the uh, Robert Redford, Paul Newman. Um, uh, film, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Right. You know, and it's one of the things I find interesting in it. And it's actually kind of horrific. Yes. If you think of it, if you think about it, but it is in many ways, I think it's, it's very, uh, psychologically honest. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you do with a hero? I mean, you don't, they, they don't get, they don't sit down on a nice farm with a pension. Um, and and rejoin the rest of the community. These the the, the hero is usually a a, a broken individual. Um, anyways, these are these are things that I that I, that I find incredibly rich sources of stories, um, particularly for fantasy. That uh, you know I'm really interested in playing around with more, and because they say they say uncomfortable things about human society. 
and not just our human society, but that, that you know, with the Greeks as well. Mm -hmm. How do we get rid of Heracles? How do we get rid of, if we're an ancient Greek, what, what ends up happening for our, our, um, our heroes? They pretty much will all get killed, um, usually in horrible ways. Yes. And then we sit around and we make a little shrine to them um, and we offer periodic sacrifices to them. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right? That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much that's, it, yes. So we remember what they did, but they're very ambivalent folk. You know, we, we offer sacrifices to that, to them. Uh, I mean, it's it's uh, for whatever reasons that we do. Presumably it is uh, to make sure that they don't go and return and screw with us. Um, you know, and, and, and they stay away and we honor what they did within their context and and please stay in this safe place that we've now put you and don't come back. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I don't know about you. I don't know if you, this is something that you find interesting, but I find it literary uh, as a literary theme. I find it, it, it wonderfully rich um, and uncomfortable. Well, it, it, it is. It is very, very uncomfortable because how and I think it is uncomfortable from from the writing, you know, point of view, from the fantasy point of view, because how do you make one of those horrible heroes uh, likable or somewhat relatable? So people actually get to want to be that person, gets to see something of that person that they wish they didn't have within themselves and yet it's impossible to avoid. Yes. And the likability faction fa uh, uh, issue is a, 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 a big problem. I mean, the, the way, I think the way Hollywood um, books, it's easy mm -hmm. because you can just put words in their mouth and um, uh, you don't, you know, you can narr you narrate it in a way that you can arrange it however you want. Cinema is more difficult. Um, you know, I, I and a lot of these characters, even in cinema, are Rorschach tests. You know, is um, is the antihero likable or unlikable? Do we? Why do we like an anti-hero like uh, Logan in um, uh, it was like Wolverine in the Logan mm -hmm. movie? And or do we? Do we agree that this guy is kind of a murderous dick? Um, yeah, or Deadpool or whatever. Yeah, one of those. Absolutely. Exactly. This is the this is the 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 ambiguity of the the anti-hero, which ironically our anti-hero is closer to the hero um, than what we call the hero. Yes, and now to bring it back to RPGs, how on earth can we do that around the table? Because, you know, if, if anybody played a character like Wolverine or uh, in the Wolverine manner or Deadpool or, you know, recently I've, I've been watching the Umbrella Academy, any of those kids. Yeah. I mean, that would be an absolutely impossible player or character to deal with around the table. That would be so goddamn hard. Well, I, said, do I actually don't. I don't think so. Really? But I think part of the problem in RPGs is we don't establish, we don't tend to give in games um, our characters a strong connection to their own community. Okay, right? I so give that's you that. the yes. first. That's that. Now, um, 
I'm going to tout Chiazium's horn because uh, this is one of the things Greg Stafford was very good at doing in both RuneQuest and and King Arthur Pendragon is is creating uh, games where you are grounded as a member of 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 a community with expectations on how you're supposed to behave, mm -hmm. and then your character violates those expectations because they have to because they're the hero. Um, but part of that is our normal fantasy role playing um, cont uh, uh, context is characters without really much of a connection at all with the the social mores of that setting. Mm -hmm. All right. And as a result, when they behave like the anti-hero, uh, they very quickly become so um, sociopaths. Yes. All right. Um, and and so from my perspective, part of what needs to be done is to before you can have characters that transgress against the social mores, they need to have social the social mores need to be established. OK, it, 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 so, you know, if we go to. Um, I know you're a Campbell fan. You know the the, the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. The first stage of the hero's journey is the ordinary world. Yeah. And then you have to you have to establish this is how things are supposed to operate. Now the hero goes outside of how things are supposed to operate and 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 crosses the threshold. I believe is is uh, Campbell's term of art. Mm -hmm. We don't do a particularly good job in. Um, uh, RPG fantasy of establishing that ordinary world and um, crossing the threshold. You know, I'm mm, I'm going to uh, be nitpicky there because I think fantasy RPGs they do do a great job defining the world itself, and I feel yes, they do. Okay, what I, what I feel doesn't happen though is to give you. Where could this world go? As you've mentioned before, uh, the, the the great thing about the hero is that they are the outcasts who help shape the next civilization. You know, to yes. in, yes. in, in, in there, but civilize everything. So it, I feel what happens in fantasy worlds is that they give you this world already set, already done, already established, but they don't give you and this is where it could go, and this is what's going wrong, so this is what must be changed, or they're this is what's being setting. built. They're static settings. Correct. They're static settings. And this actually ties in uh, ties into one of the, 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 the things I find often very strange, that I personally find aesthetically very strange. But uh, again, this is just my own personal take on it. There is a desire by a lot of people within the gaming community for... Uh, these sort of very static sandbox settings mm -hmm. where the setting itself is um, uh, eternal. Right. It doesn't really change except by player, uh, player action. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and the player action, it's all, um, it's, it, it, in some ways, it's very narcissistic in that they, that everything centers around what the players, how the players act. And no, there isn't, you know, it, it's, it's that every spotlight is on them. Mm -hmm. um, and as a result, they can't be what you just described. 
because the setting itself isn't in motion like human settings are, uh, human societies are, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. It does. Um, but the other thing that happens is we have these detailed settings, but then you make your character and your character is zip off and, you know, you make a character, it's this collection of stats and characteristics and whatnot, but it doesn't tie to the setting. If that makes any sense, mm -hmm. there's 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 nothing that says in the character sheet. Now, you know, your character, I can tell you how strong your character is. I can tell you how smart your character is. I can tell you how much damage your character does with a mace and how much damage you can survive. I can model all of that, but I don't model how reluctant you are to violate the social mores of 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 your community. I can't, I, I, I don't model, I don't model any of this, how you, um, you function within society. I just give you a character class and move you forward. Mm -hmm. Um, and you think about it in a movie and the reason that, that Hollywood loves doing superhero origin stories yep. is a superhero origin story takes a character and starts with them in the ordinary world. And the whole, you know, half the story or the first third of the story is character in the ordinary world. And then for some reason, that character in the, so we, we, we establish how that character interacts with, you know, peers in the ordinary world, et cetera, et cetera you know, their shitty job or their great girlfriend or their, their, you know, whatever, you know, pick every superhero uh, origin story ever done. And then there's some part in it where, for one reason or another, that character has to leave the ordinary world mm -hmm. and enters into the world of a superhero, all right? That, the movie doesn't work um, if you skip that first part. Correct. Uh, and even with the, the Umbrella Academy, the Umbrella Academy very cleverly does this um, in the way of introducing characters that are horribly dysfunctional families. Brutally so. Brutally so. And they have these complex backstories that we introduce um, uh, through them, but we don't actually see them breaking the expected archetypes until several episodes in. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, like that, you, you look at the story arc of the number five character. Yeah. And it's like, what, about the fourth or fifth episode where it's revealed that number five has actually been a murderous hitman for, you know, which is which is wonderful. But we've established, you know, that becomes um, that works because we've also established him as being a kid. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just that 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 we have his his crossing that liminal line um is something that occurred backstage in the far future. And we only establish that in like the fourth or fifth episode, which I think is very cleverly done. Yeah. But we introduce those characters, at least initially, as, as our expectation is they should follow the basic archetypes for superheroes. And they don't. Not at all. I mean, I, I think they, they are... As much as I have some issues with the series, but I think they are perfect examples of what anti-heroes can be and what actually real heroes uh, yes. should be like, uh, really. It, um, 
Very much so. But but now tie that to a role-playing game. If we were introducing this as a role-playing game, normally what would happen is we would jump right in. We are the the 33-year-old um, uh, member of the uh, Umbrella Academy, jump in, we have our, uh, starting with our adventure, and we haven't truly established um, that there are expectations on how our characters should behave. Because we as we as players are uh, we know that these guys are dysfunctional, so we're gonna start playing them as dysfunctional. Yeah, my character's a sociopath, they're gonna end up murdering and killing their way through it. And that's actually boring. At least I find that boring. Mm-hmm. Because there's no tension that your character is is there's no feeling that your character is actually dysfunctional. Your character is just sociopathic and evil. Uh, and sociopathic and evil, I find quite boring. Well, it's so, so easy. Yes. It's, it's easy. There's nothing to it. Exactly. Uh, whereas a dysfunctional person, a broken person, is rich and interesting. Absolutely, because there is mending uh, and there is an attempt to actually repair that exactly. bracket, that person. I, 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 exactly. But in order to, to do that, I think that we as 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 game designers and game masters and players you know pull yourself back to Campbell's hero hero's journey we have to start with our characters being grounded one way or another in the expectations of the setting mm-hmm. then we can transgress against those because we're playing broken characters or we're doing we're just doing the sort of stuff adventurers do and then we need to to re-enter the world um of normal social expectations and and mores so that we we have that drama and that experience that yeah my character really is fucked up um you know this isn't call of cthulhu the 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 call of cthulhu arc i started as an ordinary member of society i'm playing a librarian we all know what a librarian is oh i've lost 20 sanity points i've gone nuts I've seen things that man was not meant to see. I've got to go to an institution for several years to get my sanity up uh, if I survive the setting. And in a campaign game, you know that ends up being your arc. You, mm. Your character keeps going back to the back to the uh, the um, uh, Arkham Asylum in, in order to to uh, regain enough sanity points that your character can function in the ordinary world. So with Cthulhu, we've always done that. Um, or there's an element of that. Mm-hmm. Or your character is so broken that they can never go back. And, and you know, I think one of the reasons um, why RPGs don't do this more often, the, the um, give you the broken hero that you have to play with, is because, quite frankly, I think people would be really, really bad at it. It is a very <laughs> difficult thing to do. Let's face it, it's a very, very, very hard thing to do. Maybe not just for yourself. You know, if you're playing a one-to-one session, you know, your GM, and then you and you play your, your, your broken character, fine, because you don't have to interact with anybody else. But as soon as you have to interact with anybody else, then you have to have those relationships tested. And you have to put up with the weird shit that other people do, and they have to put up with yours. That yes. makes for some very difficult dynamics around the table and very it's hard so to keep up. And yet we do it with Cthulhu, right? Mm-hmm. You've played enough Cthulhu. They, but this, these sorts of dynamics happen quite often in Call of Cthulhu yeah. through the sanity, uh, the sanity mechanic. 
Um, yeah, but there's, there's a difference though, because the the difference with the Call of Cthulhu is that those that insanity, that difficulty has been imposed onto the character there and then by yes, something that's true. known. Whereas what happens, for example, to continue with the example of the Umbrella Academy, is that those kids are all broken in different manner because they have one particular figure who oppressed them, who abused them in a specific way. So they have all been treated differently in order to reach and take them to the same place and they are broken for different reasons. So for them to understand, you know, why one of them loves their father, whereas the other one hates him, and why the other one has been able to come to terms with by hiding behind fame, is that kind of complex dynamics that, because they come with the character before the game begins, it's not been imposed within the game for one particular reason that they all have in common, is, is very well, I don't, different. Think, I don't think if I was doing an RPG version of the, the Umbrella Academy, I don't think you could start at the point that the TV show starts. It would be very hard, very, I very difficult. I, I mean, I, um, have you ever played um, uh, King Arthur Pendragon? No. Okay. One of the very interesting things in that is, is you're, you, you start with your character just being knighted. Okay. In the, the classic sense of that. And you start developing... Your character starts developing relationships with the other characters and with the rest of the community that change in our dy dynamic as that game goes forward. Mm -hmm. I mean, the classic Pendragon campaign covers 75 years of, uh, of time. And if you start with your initial character, you will likely end with the child or grandchild of your original character. All right. So, but by the but as you move forward, um, and really, the first few sessions, all you're doing is you're beginning to build these contexts and these relationships that, that can change in time. Um, but it requires multiple sessions for your character to um, build up enough where you can really start playing around with it, right? So you don't really... Um, this is something um, that... Uh, uh, a friend of mine, David Dunham, who wrote the King of Dragon Pass computer game and Six Ages uh, computer game, we called it the, 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 the problem of character generation, which is I generate a character, but I don't know my character several sessions. Okay. All right. We often write a backstory to our character, but we don't do any. That, that backstory is, often is very artificial. Yeah, it's fluff. It's fluff. Um, and, and, and this is what, what's glorious about the Umbrella Academy is you have characters with these incredibly rich backstories that link with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, this is something we've tried to do with the new edition of, of, of RuneQuest Glorantha. It's something I think Greg did a great job. I mean, they, these ideas that you, you, when you create your character, you should also, when the when the players create the character, they should also create collectively and together a backstory mm -hmm. that links each other together and, and lets them know on the first session who their character is and what that why that character is what that character is and what direction their arc seems to be moving in. So that they are a character that begins in media res as opposed to the classic um, uh, RPG character that, you know, I create my character, 
I've written a back backstory four sessions in. I pretty much will have forgotten my backstory because it makes absolutely no, uh, no impact. No impact. And I think without that, without that backstory, without that context, mm-hmm. I don't think you can. We can play around very well with it. It's very hard to play around with the heroic archetype, except in a very whitewashed manner. Correct. I agree. Either uh, agree. And 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 this is something though that you know if if um, you know if you ever if I ever made a a game in the Wild West, I would want to have um, you know I I would want the the arc of a Wild West game to be about the redemption of your character. Mm-hmm. You know, because that so instead of the spiral down to have your character start as the classic Western character um, does at the bottom, you know, of that your and then you have to work out well what are the horrible things that your character has done in the past, what what has his spiral or her spiral down been to bring them to this point, um, and then the story of the game is how do you crawl out of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 and and I, I'm not saying that that's something I'm going to do, but I think that would be a very interesting game. Agreed, agreed. Uh, and yeah, anyways, this is these are some of the goofy ideas that have been circulating since my last ski trip. Well, no goofy at all. And the, and the thing is, we've been at it for nearly an hour, and and I feel that we could spend here another very many hours just talking about it and going to the Umbrella Academy, and we could talk about Star Trek as well, probably, and see all the characters and everything. And oh, I, and, I, I absolutely <laughs> new Star Trek. By the way, I just want to say the new Star Trek is a wonderful example of that. absolutely. You know, the Michael Burham character mm-hmm. is broken. <laughs> That's what came to my mind. And yes, she, and she begins at the bottom, and the entire story arc. Is her redemption absolutely, and and this is something else. In just talking about role playing games as a form of literature and art, which um, I, I personally think that 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 role playing games are a underappreciated genre, um, a media of literature, and that if we lived in a uh, a a a more Jeff conceptually arranged world you know we would be treating role-playing games as uh, seriously and as frivolously as we treat movies and television and in in comic books it's a very unique way uh for its um participants its users its readers to also be creators at the same time it's one of the very very few uh, forms of media that allow us to both take something that somebody else has written and make it our own uh, and use it to explore ideas and concepts. And and that can be as serious as we want it to be or as frivolous as we want it to be. It's a, you know, it, and, and you can, and it can be both frivolous and serious at the same time. RPGs are uniquely, in my opinion, are uniquely suited to tell these stories of redemption yep. because your create you know it's not watching somebody else's redemption it is to some extent experiencing and identifying with a broken character and you're working to make things right for that character according to some way or another and i find that i i, I find that fascinating an incredible opportunity 
agreed and one that we will have to talk about some point in another episode because um, I think we should we should wrap it up uh, I think we've <laughs> given people an awful lot of food for thought that, that's the thing and seriously I could if, 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 if we didn't stop we're going to be here for the rest of the day um, <laughs> easily so um, anyway just just to to wind down a little bit uh, I, I would like to ask you three um, three questions just to, to bring us into a zen you know kind of mode um, so for, first question to, to finish the podcast is um What's the best advice that no one has ever given you? Gosh, I've been given a lot of good advice over the years. Yeah, what's um, the one that no one gave you? You know, I'm not entirely sure. Well, I'm not entirely sure that um there is anything that i have thought up completely on my own okay uh, where i was not standing on somebody else's shoulders and 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 i mean that quite seriously mm -hmm. that that that, that um, i i you know whether it be writing whether it be parenting whether it be um uh, uh enjoying life I at least have always been somebody that 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 tries to that that tries to be aware that um, I'm standing on a foundation made by others, mm -hmm. and so if I try to think of something novel and unique that 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 I came up all by myself, then immediately I think, "Gosh, somebody else." Oh no, I have one. Okay. I have one. <laughs> it's it's it's. You're not a vegetarian, are you? No. Okay, when you're making steak, mm -hmm. when you're making steak, um, uh, two things, always cut the steak very, very thick. Never buy the pre-cut steak no. from, um, and uh, put a little bit of, of used coffee, not the liquid, but the coffee beans. Right. Rub a little bit on both sides uh, before you grill it. That's my only useful, unique idea that I think I came up with on my own. Okay, I'll try that. It's out the flavor. Okay, I'm going to try it. I'm, I'm definitely going to try it. Right, okay, okay. <laughs> this is good. This is very good. Uh, okay, um, second question. What's the best mistake that you would like to make again? Um, I can give a whole bunch of glorious mistakes um, that I've made. Probably the best mistake I ever made um, with perfect 2020 hindsight was get back when I was in university, going in and having the absurd idea that I was going to go ahead and get my graduate degrees in classical studies. Mm -hmm. uh, and so doing all that work and all that prep work and all of that study on something that actually I never went further on and never did anything with. Uh, but and ended up going and getting my uh, a Juris Doctor instead. Uh, but it was a glorious mistake because I learned so damn much, even if I never used that academic, you know, never built on that academically or professionally. Okay. How's that for a mistake? Perfect. Because I wasted years and a lot of money. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, last question. Um, you have a time machine. So you go back in time you meet yes. your 10 year old self and you say to your 10 year old self do not do 
this? What is this? Um, I would say to my 10-year-old self, uh, do not be afraid to, um, to go outside of what you think is comfortable. It is okay to do things that you, th that you think are frightening. Um, do them. Okay. If they, and, and cause this is something that I, I, um, that, that I think for all of us, that we have a tendency to find our zones of safety and stay in them. And I would, I think if I could try to tell anything to my 10 year old self, it is go out, uh, be willing to go outside of your uh, safety zone. Love it. Jeff, thank you. Thank you so well, much for being with me today. Hopefully, Excellent. Thank you. Talk to you again yeah, very that? soon. <laughs>